Hello and welcome to Switch It, the podcast that chases every ball to the boundary regardless of the consequences. We've just had a bumper bank holiday weekend as people up and down the country celebrated 70 years on the throne for Queen Elizabeth. And the England men's test team didn't let the side down either, winning for the first time in what seems like almost as long. There was jubilee jubilation at Lords after Joe Root once again did the heavy lifting for England to help get Ben Stokes' reign as captain off to a happy and glorious start. It was a case of new era, same old shtick, with James Anderson and Stuart Broad on parade and some wobbly batting that would have shamed the trifle stand. But at least no one got booed. Joining me for the Monday come down via the wonders of Zoom, thanks to a tube strike, are ESPN Crickinfo UK editor Andrew Miller and associate editor Matt Roller. Patriotism is, of course, the last refuge of the scoundrel Miller, but uh, it was nice to see England win for once. Absolutely. It was, it was, it was a happy and glorious day, four days, as you say. Um, particularly nice uh, that final morning, um, given all the talk in the build-up about ticket prices at Lords and, and how, how the common man has been priced out by, 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 this, by this regime. Uh, uh, galloped to victory so quickly and so gloriously that uh, won it within 15 overs. So everyone got a full refund. So that, that was a glorious uh, um, postscript to, to the weekend. And um, yeah, I, I spent the afternoon writing up at Lords while watching the Jubilee Parade on the big screen. And while watching uh, James Anderson's kids, I think it was, doing cartwheels out in the outfield and uh, everyone was jolly happy. So uh, yeah, it was... It, even if England lost, genuinely, even if England had lost, which they, you know, perfectly reasonable they could have done given the, the overhead conditions on that final morning and, and the known flakiness of, of their batting, um, it would have been a pretty joyous occasion all told. And that, I think, is a really, really good sign for England. There's been so much gloom and everything about every defeat they've had for 18 months has been pretty miserable. Um, this was all set up to be a very happy defeat and instead it turned into a very happy victory. So... Doesn't doesn't prove anything in the long run, but in the short run, it does prove that um, the new regime has has got a few smiles back on faces, and and that's I think a very 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 important part of of the process. That's right, Joe Root even doing his bit for the cost of living crisis, um, just tick that one off as well. Matt, there's no doubt that the Stokes McCullum regime has got off to an entertaining start. Although I think you were almost as excited by the occurrence of two tactical retired outs in the blast last night. If you want to talk us through that first, <laughs> yeah, two tactical retired outs in the same game. Um, pretty pretty special stuff. Um, obviously stole all of the the headlines, all the back pages in the papers this morning. No mention of the test whatsoever. Um, but yeah, it, no, I agree. It was a, a very good way for this this sort of uh, much vaunted new era to, to start. I think, um, you know, we saw, I suppose you see in, in football, for example, you see the new manager bounce, don't you, where quite often there's some, some element of mean reversion where a new... Uh, uh, new new leader comes in and uh, manages to sort of ride out the uh, the early weeks, and I suppose the the long term is probably the bigger question. But I think you saw the the basic improvements that quite often happen when there's a new leadership and uh, new leadership team in place. So, for example, the fielding, I thought there was a huge improvement um, from England. They took most of their slip catches. Ollie Pope um, had a sort of great uh, sharp thinking run out from from fourth slip to get Colin de Grandham uh, in in a moment that actually. Pretty much turned the game. Um, I thought on the on the third morning when he when Colin de Grandin was sort of yeah dozily running out of his crease, uh, waiting for an LBW uh, decision. Um, and yeah, I think uh, there were sort of lots of 
lots of uh, minor positive signs for England about the new era, even if um, it looked a lot like the old one in a few ways in that um, it was Anderson with the new ball on the first morning and then uh, Root with the bat uh, that, that made the match-winning contributions, I suppose. We'll start at the end for this one. After three days of seesawing action in a test that, for the most part, featured all the discipline and self-control of a four-year-old's birthday party, England turned up at a dank and drizzly Lords, needing 61 more runs with five wickets in hand. Um, Miller, considering that 19 wickets had fallen in the three preceding morning sessions, I'm guessing that most people at the ground were predicting at least a couple more before things were concluded. At least a couple more, because um, the, the, because Brendan McCullum's uh, cunning plan, if a wicket had fallen, was to send um, send uh, Stuart Broad in at number eight to, to give it some Humpty, which is, a, a fan, I think, a fantastic idea. I think it's the right would have been the right thing to do, but it would have been a good time, not a long time. Put it that way. So yeah, it it would have got down to you know three wickets to to scrape over the line had had an early wicket gone, um, but it didn't. And the fact that it didn't um, was really sort of set up from uh, from ball one, essentially, by, by Joe Root, sort of leaning out of his crease, or actually shimmied down the pitch a bit, and nudged uh, Tim Southey's sicer round the corner for one of his typical typical nerdled singles. And the ball hadn't moved moved through the air one little bit, and if Southey doesn't bend it through the air, you know that um, things are pretty peaceful. Um, and from that moment on, it was actually a really, really simple chase, and in, nothing simple in those circumstances, especially when the floodlights are on and you know that... At Lords, you look up, not down, and the overheads are especially gloomy. But um, uh, Root just put aside all circumstance, just as he's done with his with his captaincy throughout his incredible run of form uh, with the bat in the last eighteen months. He, he blanked out everything that was not essential to the fundamentals of watching the ball onto the bat and getting England those sixty-one runs. And England cruised it. It was it was incredibly peacefully done. And of course, the the wonderful coincidence of the fact he needed exactly 100 runs to get to 10,000 runs and got there with two runs out to mid-wicket so he ended up actually and one of our feedbackers noted this which was one of the more gloriously dorky points I've ever seen that in getting to 10,000 runs he actually achieved the square root of 10,100 uh, to get to that mark um, what, what more could Mr Root himself want? <laughs> That's number wang I think um <laughs> yeah, so England got to their their target of 277 pretty comfortably um, in the end. Root reached his 100 uh, and that landmark with the same stroke. He finished on 115 not out, walked off to a standing ovation and some into some emotional embraces with his teammates. Um, Matt, I mean, he was the obvious candidate to be England's hero, but it was still pretty heartwarming. Yeah, it really was. I think, um, you know, there's obviously an extent to which you feel a bit detached from the team um, when you're reporting on it compared to if you're in the stands. But I think um, as much as anything, yeah, it was just nice to see, um, yeah, Root smiling and sort of visibly overwhelmed by the emotion um, after what has been a pretty grim run. I think all three of us have sat in our fair share of press conferences, um, often via Zoom from faraway climbs where he's looked uh, like a broken man over the past 18 months, especially. Um, and yeah, having having sort of ploughed through that um, COVID era, having been the, uh, the the ambassador, whether he wanted to be or not, for the test team um, and having somehow managed to keep um, scoring runs to the extent he has, despite the pressures, the obvious pressures of captaincy throughout that whole period, um, he looked pretty liberated by the end of it. I think, um, you know, the fact he had his family there, the fact he was able to um, live a pretty normal life, the fact he didn't have to speak to the press the days before the game and do all the sponsored stuff and all the commitments that a lot of people don't see with the captaincy. I think 
clearly made quite a big difference for him in in him talking about um how he went about his innings. So yeah, very nice to see. Um, I think, I think also it was a, especially in the the um his his hundred was a really interesting innings as well, just to look at um sort of analytically, I suppose, because he, he I think he was at 30 something off 80 something balls at the time where Stokes got out and then I think hit 81 off his last 81 balls. Um and and basically clearly sees the moment. I think he he said that he saw the turning point in the game as um the second ball change in England's run chase, which was I think in the 55th over. Um where basically because the pitch was slow um and the new ball really didn't do anything when they re- um replaced it. Sorry, the the replacement ball didn't do anything. Um, it, it meant that there were scoring opportunities, there were sweepers out. So he was, you know, it, it was the sort of innings that we've seen him play a lot in 50-over cricket, actually, where he hits the hits the sweepers, takes ones and twos, rotates the strike very easily. Um, you know, I think he only scored 12 boundaries in that 115, but um, still scored at a strike rate of 67, which is pretty remarkable um, if you think about the, the sort of the ability to minimise dot balls that, yeah, as I said, we, we saw for four years playing for the ODI team from 2015 to 2019 in particular. Um, but yeah, he sort of brought those skills into uh, in, into into a test and yeah, knocked, knocked them off as though he was um, chasing a just under par total in, a, in, in blue kit. Um, yes, uh, it was, uh, it, it was very efficient, wasn't it? Um, and he, I mean, he, uh, he, as as you say, Matt, he'd kind of gone under the radar in the in the build up. Didn't have to do any press, um, didn't have to do much other than bat really, and I don't think he even took a catch um, in this test. Um, Miller he spoke uh, quite openly, uh, and I think for the first time really about kind of the strain that the captaincy had left him under. Um, he described it as a, it'd become a bit of an unhealthy relationship. Um, it started to really take a, a bad toll on my personal health. I couldn't leave it at the ground anymore. It was coming home. It wasn't fair on my family, on people close to me. And it wasn't fair on myself either. Uh, I mean, that's a, a quite a revealing insight given uh, everything he's fronted up to uh, and the sort of the t- tenacious way, really, that he held on to the job for so long. Absolutely, it was it was very emotional. Actually, you could see, you could see the emotion as he left the pitch, and and he had a there was a bit of a bit of a croak in his voice as he was expressing all of this. It was, as you say, the first time he's spoken to the media since resigning, because obviously he went away on a break uh, after the West Indies tour, uh, made his decision while away, and has had a few championship games, but has been very much uh, a low key uh, presence at Yorkshire. So um, this was his first chance to to express it, and he expressed it incredibly emotionally. It was. Um, yeah, it really sort of brought home the, the 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 extraordinary extent to which he's carried the team as well. I mean, if you think back to his final words, the last time he's really spoken to the media was was on the outfield in in Grenada, basically saying, "No, I'm not going to resign. I I'm, I still believe I'm the man to carry this team forward." I mean, he was he was even then still felt hidebound to to do his duty. Um, you know, a bit, a bit like the Queen. I imagine she's wanted a jacket in a few times, but you know, sometimes you just think, you know, no, this is my duty. No one else can do. No one else can do this role. I, I need to front up. I need to keep fronting up. Um, until, as you say, that moment that, for whatever reason, maybe it was just getting, getting, getting away. Maybe it was, you know, the, the sense that Rob Key was coming in and the new regime was coming in, and someone had a word saying, you know what, there is a new, there is, there's a new support coming, coming forward. You know, it's not all on you anymore because, frankly, he's been. He has been front and centre, but a bit like a bit like Alistair Cook back in the day. He was front and centre. He was like the human shield for the last ECB regime when, you know, amid all the KP kerfuffle. It often happens to England captains. They they, they do become um, 
absolutely the, the, the men with their heads above the parapet in a way that uh, allows lesser people to, to hide behind them, to be perfectly honest. So he didn't have to do this anymore. And that was the wonderful thing about his, his performance. It was, yes, it was liberated. And, you know, the, 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 the emotion of, you know, getting his first fourth innings 100, which was, which was notable in itself, that, that, that was a great achievement and, and a, you know, a tick in the box for his, his greatness credentials. But uh, moreover, he just carried on with that same focus, that same tunnel vision that he managed to take into, take into his batting all throughout that period when clearly, as, as this emotion was coming out in the press conference, the, the external pressure was immense in that period. And yet somehow that middle, that strip of 22 yards down the middle, that tunnel vision he's had when he's been able to face the bowlers has almost been his, his, his release. It's been, it's, been, it's been his sanctuary in so many ways. Get out there. This is my chance just to, just to do what I do hang the consequences of whatever people are saying around me i'm i am what i am and i do what i do and he keeps doing it and it's a great sign a hugely important sign for england going forward because you know as as you said at the top it it, it does feel a little bit like this new england is the old england i, I actually took a picture of uh, of the, the flags at, uh, at lords as i was leaving last night in a row the, the, it just so happened that poor chris wokes's flag had blown over so you had a you, you had a run of stuart broad followed by Ben Stokes, followed by Joe Root in the distance. And, you know, here were three of three of the four totems, with James Anderson obviously being the other key presence. And, you know, Matt Potts played a very important part too. But, frankly, it was England's old guard who stood up at the crucial moments in, frankly, you know, almost every each innings, barring maybe the first batting innings, uh, to give them a chance. So if Root is going to carry on batting in the way that he has done and there's absolutely no reason to think he won't because Ben Stokes is his best mate and as we say he's 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 liberated from from these pressures it is one of the if not the most fundamental reason why this new project can can, can succeed frankly and also the tempo in which he did it uh, as Matt says the bat 81 81 runs from 81 balls and that final push without looking like taking a chance I mean that was that was the positive mantra in a nutshell. Positive mantra does not mean hurtling down the pitch and trying to smack every ball for six, even if in Ben Stokes's case, once he got his uh, first weird innings out of the way, that was the right thing for him to do. The right thing for Joe Root to do is carry on being Joe Root. And if Joe Root carries on being Joe Root, um, this this team has a chance of, of, of lifting itself off the gutter. Uh, yeah, I was listening to the radio uh, for a bit on Saturday, I think it was, and... Um when uh, talking about if England get the runs, Alistair Cook, I think, said, well, if they get the runs, you know, obviously winning will be one thing, but two, they'll have had, you know, a, a, a new hero, presumably, will have stood up, someone will have um, performed uh, for the first time, unless it's Ben Stokes or uh, or Joe Root, of course, which um, they turned out to be the two uh, players for England that, that did pass 50. Um, 10,000 runs, he's the, the 14th man in that club, uh, second Englishman after Alistair Cook. Um, Matt, I, I mean, the expectation is that he will um, go on for a fair bit longer. Um, Roots, uh, sorry, Roots record, Cook's record, um, might become Roots record, uh, give it two or three years. <laughs> Sachin's record is the, is the one right on the horizon, um, although that's a long way off. Yeah, um, I, I was actually just listening to to um, Alistair Cook talking on the uh, the TMS podcast um, about his sort of expectations for whether Root's going to surpass him and all this sort of thing. And what he did say, which was quite interesting, was you know at, at exactly the same age 
um, route was when mm. they when they both passed ten thousand runs. I think it was pretty much to the day, although there's some quibbling over. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think everyone's realizing <laughs> no one knows how we actually measure how old people are, um, which is a slightly <laughs> slightly worrying uh, <laughs> thing to have come out of the uh, the first test of the summer. But um, yeah, Cook was basically saying that at the time he he passed ten thousand runs, he thought there was absolutely no way he would have retired as early as thirty three. Um, so we're saying it, you know, it's one of those things where. Uh, you, it's very easy to speculate at this point and say, well, Root will obviously go until he's 36, 37, but um, not necessarily the case. I think the, the big difference probably is that um, if you think about Cook's own return to the ranks, he was what probably six years older than, than Root at the time um, and very much the sort of felt like the elder statesman of that um, of that team when he came back in and he, he left the captaincy, whereas Root and Stokes are, I think, six months apart in age. Um, obviously very close friends anyway. Root was talking about how, yeah, all, all those times where Stokes uh, secured a win, pulled off an improbable win for my team. I want to pay back to him um, and his team. And it feels like there's a sort of a slightly different relationship probably to Cook and Root, which felt much more like a big brother um, relationship than, than Root and Stokes, who are clearly friends. So I think, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, exactly how how route progresses over the next few years because especially you know inevitably there will be a dip in form at some point um and whether he has the sort of um whether he can he can be uh he has the determination to get out the other side is is something that quite often you won't won't know until you actually get into that situation but i think the the crucial thing is as Root kept on saying yesterday you know he, he was um repeated the line several times he said i love batting and that's what i want to do basically and um, I think it's pretty evident in, in how he's played over the past couple of years that that's the case. And yeah, I think um, obviously it's it's quite a strange thing that he's sort of playing for all these records as well as, um, and that that's the thing that's sort of being talked about as the, the next thing, the next stage of his career is just to go out and break all the records. But um, I think from his point of view, as much as that, I think he, he is such a, a team man that um, I think his, his main determination is to um, get England back into a position where they're not losing uh, well, not on a, a run of one win in 17 again. It'll be a pretty grim 18 months if, they, if, if <laughs> that's what's just started. That, that, might, that might test test his enthusiasm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, do, I do agree that, I do agree that, 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 that there is a possibility that he could do it insofar as, in so many ways, I think Root and, and Tendulkar have, have more in common than, than not. In, you know, they're both baby-faced prodigies who who love batting and you know are never happier than when out in the middle and and away from the pressures i mean the the other the other thing i suppose with with cook was that uh it all it all it, he turned off the tap almost overnight because cook was so much about the the, the mental battle he's like if, if his mind was in the in the game everything else flowed from there his 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 his, his technical limitations to, to an extent were were such he basically had three shots if they weren't working then then he was then he was a bit struggling so you know the fact that he got that amazing send-off in his final test his, his 100 was entirely because he was, his mind was switched on to the fact that this is my last chance to do what I do and he took it whereas Root you, you, you don't get the sense that Root will, 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 turn, will have a tap turned off in the same way um, he, may, he may well wake up one morning and decide you know what I don't want to do this anymore much as he did with his, uh, uh, with his captaincy but you know the fact, the fact is he, he has got strokes for every occasion, he's got that that get off get out stroke off the, off the hips that will just keep him ticking over even in rough trots. Um, it's you know he's he's what he scored two thousand runs in the last two two years. He, he, there was an amazing stat about 
you know, the, in terms of the Fab Four, um, he's he's got nine hundred since 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 January twenty twenty, and each of the other three in the Fab Four haven't got a single hundred. Um, I mean, it's it, it, the Fab Four is a load of nonsense anyway. But it, but it just it just it just draws it, it 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 reinforces the fact that that all this stuff is is linear. It's not linear. It's it's ebb and flow, and you know, there's there's no questioning the greatness of these players. It's just at what stage of their career does that greatness manifest itself into runs? And right at the moment, Root is in such a hot trot and he's able to get, get himself runs in spite of the outside pressure and now in spite of not having the outside pressure, which is actually just as, just as significant, there's no reason to believe he won't get another significant stash of runs this summer. And then already he's breathing down, breathing down Cook's neck. Um, who knows? It, it's going to be fascinating to watch, but as he himself said, <laughs> you know, the, the milestones are nice, but it's not really what I'm in it for. I'm in it for the wins. Um, so let's see what happens. It'll it'll be a real test when he finally gets that IPL contract, and uh, <laughs> you know, he has to juggle the formats. Um, of course, uh, England haven't had a lot of success over the last uh, eighteen months. So that that time that roots purple patch has as. Come uh, a time when England have won uh, five. Well, they won five tests since um, since the start of last year. Root has scored hundreds in all of them. Uh, he's averaged one hundred and sixteen. Um, he scored nine hundred and thirty-one runs in those five matches. The next best. Uh, anyone care to guess? Uh, Dan Lawrence. R- Rory Burns. <laughs> Neither. Um, uh, Joss Butler. <laughs> uh, with 192 so uh, obviously the importance of Roots runs uh, to England winning I mean he's been scoring runs when they've been losing a lot as well but uh, yeah this was their first test win since August 2021 um, Lee against India ending a run of six defeats and three draws only their second win in 18 uh, it's also the first win over New Zealand since 2015 Um uh, Miller, he didn't. It wasn't quite, you know, single-handedly. Um, the, the the bowlers will come to uh, did a fair bit, uh, and in the run chase, there was a there was a critical other contribution. Um, you touched on, I think, but um, fortune favouring the brave uh, to a degree um, with uh, Ben Stokes's fifty. Uh, he obviously could have been out uh, on one, but uh, Colin de Grandon's size. Nines. He's not a massively big man, is he? Overstepped the line, um, but that wasn't kind of the only sketchy moment in in an innings, which ultimately was kind of a catalyst for for uh, England uh, pulling off that run chase. But um, didn't look like it might end up that way at the start. No, it was it was an absolute shambles. To be perfectly honest, I mean, you know that 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 first it was basically two innings. There was there was that first innings of one from nineteen balls that that ended to all intents and purposes with the most revolting hack across the line and, and an inside edge onto his stumps off off Colin de Grandhomme, and you know he was he was pretty much in the pavilion before the no ball was called, and so you know he he had he had basically compartmentalised his shot by the time he went back out there. Um, it didn't change his way immediately. He nearly ran himself out twice before he'd settled down. And then he started taking on Ajaz Patel. I mean, battered him out of the attack, to be fair, with three sixes and two overs, although he almost lost his off stump going for a fourth. Um, so, you know, it was it was a wild ride. But it, ultimately, it was, it was the right thing to do. Um, but, I mean, I was, trying to, I was trying to work it out at, at the time, in real time, watching it, watching it pan out. And it almost felt to me as though he was trying to retrofit 
the attitude that he expected the rest of his team to take. Uh, you know, all this positive gung-ho mentality. I mean, you know, I think in time, in the fullness of time, and Brendan McCullum's vision is yet to be fully inculcated, but in the fullness of time, I reckon it will be much more of a, a Joe Root-style positivity. He's like, you know what? It doesn't mean trying to smash every ball for six. It means getting forwards a bit more like Trevor Bayliss's positivity, for frankly. You know, defend positively, leave the ball positively, score your runs positively. Um, it, back to the future in that respect. But given everything that had gone on at the top of England's innings with, you know, the usual calamity of wickets with, you know, Alex Lee's did his best. I mean, you know, he scored 20 and I think Stokes talked it up as his best innings yet for England, but it still wasn't the most convincing thing we've ever seen. And, you know, Ollie Pope, I mean, God bless him at number three, but he really didn't look the parts in this particular innings. And Johnny Best, I mean, God knows what his what he was thinking with, with his absolutely bedlamic hack against what should have been the last ball of Kyle Williamson's spell. You could see that coming. He'd He'd, he'd battered Trent Bolt for fours all over the place. He was His beans were going. He thought, oh, my God, Johnny, just just remember, you know, you can see the signal to, to Tim Southey. You know, warm up, Tim. And last ball from the most dangerous man in the New Zealand attack, and he plays all over it with a whopping great drive and bowled for the 37th time in Test cricket. And in comes Stokes into this carnage of, of, of top order and thinking, you know what, if I go in there and start, start playing with a vertical bat and take my time to play myself in, it's almost felt like a betrayal of the guys up top who, who've been told, go on, go on, give it a go, lads, go on, go, take, a, take, down this, take down this total in the, in the means that we mean to go on. It took, a, it took him having to be given a chance to take a deep breath to realise that, you know what, there are two ways to skin this cat. And, um, you know, Root at the other end was Root. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to get rattled by, by external pressure and, and external influence within that dressing room. He just got on and did what he did. Uh, but it took, a, it took Stokes the, a few let-offs. And, you know, he, it's not, let's, not, let's not beat around the bush. He's had, a, he's had a few lucky moments against New Zealand in Lord's matches in recent times. But uh, some of these took the biscuit. And um, by the end of it, he, you know, by hook or by crook, that 90-run stand of which he was the dominant partner was absolutely fundamental in, in giving England the platform from which, uh, in the end, Root and Ben Folks, who we haven't really mentioned here, but again, there's another guy who, who took a more measured approach to positivity, um, saw England home with, with, with barely a tremor. Um, it was a really, really strange test match and a fascinating test match. And I really enjoyed watching it, uh, but I think it's far too early to read any long-term trends into what this means for for England's positivity going forward but the fact that every single player every single player at every single press conference in every single day of that match was sort of saying are you entertained it was basically a leading question are we entertaining you are you enjoying it was was pretty much the the vibe coming out of all of them um and the answer to that is yeah (laughs) I I loved it so you know that's that as far as I'm concerned that's part of the battle won yeah, well, uh, we certainly there was a the, the the gladiator. Are you not entertained? Vibe throughout, wasn't there? Um, but uh, Matt, to, um, to the contrast to to um, Stokes's innings was folks really, uh, um, as Miller's mentioned there. But um, wicket keepers are at their best when they're kind of um, not being noticed. And and I mean, this was a kind of unobtrusive home debut for folks four four years almost on from um his actual test debut but um he played his part and and, and i mean that, that was arguably his best innings in test cricket since his his century on debut and he took five very good catches as well behind the stumps 
Yeah, I, I thought it was a really interesting innings from Folks. It was similar to Stokes's in one sense, um, if, if none other, that um, it was an innings of two halves. I thought he looked incredibly scratchy on the um, third evening, sort of ball beating back quite regularly, um, ball spilling away off the inside edge, off his thigh pad, all that sort of thing. And then on, on the fourth morning, he played with a lot more sort of fluency, um, probably more, more of the positivity that um, McCullum sort of underlined so much. But um, yeah, in terms of his keeping, I, I, it probably wasn't. It was probably one of those typical performances that you see from a wicketkeeper, and that um, it wasn't noticeable at all. And that was the best possible thing, um, especially with the contrast with um, Tom Blundell for New Zealand. I think Blundell let through twenty buys, folks let through one. Um, New Zealand conceded a lot more extras than England, um, and, and that's not something you'd probably associate with an England team over the last eighteen months as being tight on the on the small things and uh, yeah, minimising the sundries that sort of thing. But um, clearly, McCullum has um, well, either McCullum has had a focus on it or it's a complete chance event. Um, but it, it, I thought it was a very, very um, yeah, clinical performance, I suppose, from folks, and actually probably speaks to something that um, you know, for for all the idea of positivity around. McCullum and the, the the you know abiding memories of his his sort of swashbuckling New Zealand teams with you know eight slips and all this sort of thing. Uh, he was he was the guy that really backed BJ Watling when he first came into the team, and I think has made a big point about how um, you know Watling became one of his favourite players because he was so um, dependable, I suppose, as much as anything else. And Watling was similar to folks, not someone who would um, rocket along and score at a strike rate of sixty or seventy. Um, but was a consistent run scorer in the way that folks are sort of trying to be, I suppose, as a test batter. Um, yeah, folks actually came into this test under a bit of pressure because obviously, um, you know, McCullum could easily have swatted away some questions about um, sort of floating a, a test recall for Butler, but was pretty happy to um, at least at least leave things open ended, if if not um, say he was desperate to get him back on his team or anything like that, but. Um, I'm I'm sure he wouldn't have been completely unaware of a bit of chat around that. He had a very poor series in the Caribbean, realistically. I think he was averaging something like sixteen in his last seven or eight tests um coming into this coming into this series, um, since the start of the India tour last year. Um so he was definitely under a bit of pressure. Um it, it would also have been quite easy for England from the squad they picked to have to have gone with the informed batter in the country and Harry Brook and given him a debut at number five, pushed Bearstow down and given him the gloves. But um they've They've backed folks, and I think it's hard to see him losing his spot um, in the immediate future, based on based on what we saw at Lords. Um, I think interesting actually that he he was batting at number seven because he's so regularly um, been sort of left to bat with the tail, um, and especially with quite a long tail in this game, it probably wouldn't have been a role that suited him. But I think you do see uh, from from how he played in that run chase that he is very much, especially as batter. Well, he is he is a genuine batter as well. He bats at five. For Surrey in the championship because he sort of played with the tempo of a batter rather than a sort of counter-attacking Gilchrist-style wicketkeeper at number seven, which has become the norm over the past however many years. Yeah, I, I, that's a very interesting point, actually. I mean, there's a, there's, there is a case, I would argue, that, that folks at five and Johnny at seven would actually make more sense in the long term for England. Actually, you know, play play to the strengths of of the of the, of the counter-attacking style that Bairstow carries. Um, but the the other interesting thing, I thought, was, that came out of... Um, what Stokes said about uh, folks afterwards was mm. he, he reiterated his his belief a that big vote folks, of confidence there big vote of confidence he's the best wicketkeeper in the world and now now this I think 
ties into points I think I was making in the last pod about about what's Brendan McCullum's vision for the unification of Test cricket and and T Twenty cricket could mean for for England and and Test cricket is like if Test cricket is to remain the pinnacle, it needs to have the best players in the world playing the format. Therefore, you can understand why England would want Stokes, would want Butler, would want Bairstow, would want Anderson Broad, um, Joffre Archer, all the all the all the obvious guys who are the best at what they do. But to have the best wicketkeeper in the world playing in that Test team is a is an important part of building the edifice that is you know this is the best format in the it, this is the best format of the game and to prove it we've got the best wicket in the world propping up and 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 maintaining the standards there and also but because because of what he is fundamentally being a wicketkeeper and, and probably not a a natural lure for the white ball team and the IPL and all the rest of it he i think has an opportunity to have his own game and know his own game rather better than particularly Bairstow and, and, and to a lesser extent Butler, who's obviously on the outside at the moment, who are obviously chopping and changing between formats. And, you know, in January, it looked like Johnny cracked it as, 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 as a counter-attacking, bludgeoning batter and, and, you know, getting that magnificent century at Sydney. And then he regressed in this test because, once again, he's in this situation whereby he's coming back into a, into a Red Bull team, having been at the IPL and, and hasn't had ch- a chance to get his head around the, the differences and all the rest of it. And so... In the process of trying to trying to be the best he can be in both formats, he's not quite being the best in either. Folks potentially, and a bit like Root, who you know is obviously superfluous superfluous to the IPL and and to a certain degree England's T Twenty cricket. Never. Well, well, we'll, we'll cross we'll cross that one come the winter. But you know what I mean. It, 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 look it, at it's... look at Kane Williamson's IPL and and tell me that Root shouldn't get a go. <laughs> well, look at well, look at Kane Williamson. Case in point, his IPL was a bit, a bit shocking, and he's, he's he's not had a great series so far. But anyway, I digress a touch. But the point mm. being, if if England want to want to be able to come to the end of this summer as the sort of first port, point of contact and be able to show evidence of we have reinvigorated Test cricket. Test cricket is back to where it belongs in the in the public affections. Then you know. Being able to lean on on the fact that they picked the best wicketkeeper in the world, TM, and and be able to show evidence that he that he that he's that he's a earned his place and b will keep it on merit. Um, that's that's a big tick in so many ways. Yes, um, I, that that was um, definitely a standout. I think, uh, and Stokes made clear reference to that. Um, we've we've done plenty on the on the batting. There isn't much more to say about. Um, certainly, England's first innings. Uh, they, uh, other than that, you, you thought the match was done and dusted a couple of times over. Um, New Zealand were forty-five for seven, eventually made it one hundred and thirty-two, and then England were fifty-nine for none, which was an, you know an encouraging start to the the new era before it it all went sort of um, familiarly pear shaped. Um, but the the bowling. Um, if England were going to win, uh, you know, if England are ever going to win, certainly in the home conditions, it's it's the uh, the attack that's going to likely um, do a lot of the work there. Uh, James Anderson, Stuart Broad, we we all know about uh, back in harness once again. Uh, it, Anderson had the better figures, Broad the the more eye catching and perhaps pivotal spell that that third morning broadside. Um, but Matthew Potts um, Miller, who you know a few weeks ago wouldn't have been um, probably on, well, it certainly wasn't a, a name that many people would have been talking out about outside of Durham. Um, certainly, the, in the England selectors um, hadn't looked that way 
before, although uh, picking fast bowls from Durham has worked out for them. Um, but, I mean, he, he could barely have had a, a better debut. Uh, wicket with his fifth ball, that of Kane Williamson. Uh, four for 13 uh, in the first innings, three for 55 in the second. He averages 9.71 in tests. He's uh, had been compared to, uh, I think, repeatedly during that match as sort of the English Scott Boland. Um, <laughs> not quite as spectacular figures on debut, but pretty decent. Um, yeah, a, fu- a real find. A real find. I, I was I was immensely impressed with him in, in every respect, and I include the way he spoke to the media afterwards. Actually, on, on debut, and uh, he, you know, on debut, you could you could could come in after a day like that and be a bit 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 sort of overawed by the experience, but not a bit of it. He was he was eloquent. He 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 was expressing a vision that that you know sounded like he'd completely bought into whatever it was that uh, that Brendan McCullum has said, and obviously. He's as new to the team as McCullum, so whatever whatever McCullum said, and he's spouting um, almost verbatim, is, is is a good indication of what what is expected of the of the of the new guys coming through. He eloquently put it: if they throw two punches, we're going to throw four. Uh, promising a bun fight every time he picks up the ball, and and he delivered as well. It was a it was it was a magnificent effort. I mean, he came in with what was it, thirty five wickets at eighteen in the championship. So the standout performer in the championship by. Country mile, even albeit in the second division, but um, you know of those, I think it was three sixfers and a seventfer, including a ten wicket haul. Um, so you know every time he'd had an opportunity to make an impact on the games he'd played to date, he'd taken it, and lo and behold, he takes it again. And um, Stokes obviously has watched him at close quarters up at Durham and and played him very cannily. I thought uh, it was impressive captaincy. He gave him a very early burst. Obviously, you're not going to dislodge. Broad and Anderson from the limelight, especially in their comeback test. But I think uh, I think Broad had a four-over spell before Potts was thrown a very new ball. And you know, bear in mind they were what twelve for three at that stage uh, when he when he got his first opportunity, and then twelve for four seconds later when he when he got his first wicket. Um, you couldn't ask for a, a more impactful arrival. Now he's not express. He's not. Uh, He's not going to be the 90 mile an hour replacement that uh, you know England are crying out for. And clearly, on that second uh, afternoon, when 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 things looked like they got a bit pear shaped with with the, uh, with the with the big big fifth wicket stand for New Zealand, um, you know there was a there was a degree of toothlessness across the whole of England's attack, not just him. But uh, the way in which he stuck to his guns and hit that hard length with with energy and 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 a bit of skill, uh, it was very Scott Boland like and and. It was it was actually Ollie Robinson like to be perfectly honest. I mean, you know, only only um, only twelve twelve months ago that Robinson took seven for on debut, and everyone thought, wow, here's a here's a county county bowler who who really has made that step up, and he's he's got he's he's got a clearly got a brain, he's clearly got a technique, he's clearly got an ability to make what's worked for him elsewhere work uh, here. But as we all know, something has has gone amiss with Robinson. You know, there's a lot of speculation about. Uh, about his fitness and what John Lewis said during the Ashes and potential that you know he's he's feeling a bit discombobulated by by the by the the pressures. But from what Scott what 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 Potts was saying in that first press conference about you know fighting the good fight and being tenacious and chasing all the balls down and grrr, growling at every opportunity, he looks like a guy who is going to be exactly what this team needs to to just just keep keep driving things forward because you know it can't just be the four old boys doing it every time it probably will be a lot of the time because they are class acts all four of them and so long as they're fit and in form 
they will be factors. There's no question about it. But if this team is to, is to develop, the kids have got to come through. And, and so far, and I, I use kids advisedly because I think, Matt, you were saying he's the first, first England bowler to be younger than you, so, or second England bowler to be younger than you. So, you know, that, 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 that is proof that, that, that really we really are reaching the, the twilight zone here. But, um, yeah, it, it, Old it's man a really good <laughs> Um Yeah, I, 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 Matt Potts... Uh, I heard him described as a bit of a like a brawler. Um, apparently, he's sort of challenging people in the dressing room to fights and things. Uh, and, and there's been a lot of talk about his his kind of um, confrontational kind of uh, make things happen approach. But he was he was actually just really lovely, and and he sort of thanked people at the end of his press conferences. <laughs> I mean, he seemed like a just a sweet lad. Um, but uh, uh, and um, yeah, only one it wasn't good news for I suppose is Craig Overton. But uh, he he may yet get a chance as the series goes on. Um, Matt uh, uh, Miller touched there on Stokes's captaincy. I mean, he uh, brought Potts on. I think he said afterwards every time I chucked in the ball uh, to get me a wicket, he got me a wicket. So you know that's a pretty good start. Um, there were six slips uh for for Jimmy Anderson I think um early on 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 that first morning obviously things were going quite well up <laughs> for England there um and a very bit of a McCullum-esque sort of move um that how else did you think he went from from that sort of point of view that the only real real point I suppose when that was tested was during that big stand between Daryl Mitchell and and Tom Blundell um and and I mean there's a suggestion that he underbowled himself in that second innings um with obviously the concern when giving Stokes the captaincy would would be that he would be bringing himself on every opportunity um but I mean everything went swimmingly from a, a results perspective um, and he seemed pretty content as well yeah, I think it was quite a difficult game in some ways to to judge a captain on because I think especially in Stokes' case, you know, players throughout the game were saying they saw it as a new ball pitch and that it was pretty slow for the most part. And I think only got slower as the sort of three and a bit days went on. Um, but clearly the new ball was doing a lot when it was still hard, um, especially sort of nipping around off the seam and that. I think actually probably more so, if anything, once the, the sort of lacquer had come off a little bit and it was in that sort of, I don't know, five to 25 or so overs old um, period. Um, so so I think both teams recognised pretty early on that they needed to really attack um, ball of full length and, and set attacking fields with the new ball. Um, because if you look at when wickets fell in the game, there were very few between the 25th over and the 80th over. Um, so I think in that sense, you know, maybe obviously deserves some credit. I don't know whether it was because of the fact that he'd read it was a new ball pitch or because of this idea of positivity and we need all the slips and we need to bowl an attacking length. We need to focus on wickets. Um, it's quite difficult to actually know exactly what the what the logic was, but um, I, I think he did perfectly well on that front. Um I think he probably deserves some credit for how he uh, he captained Matt Parkinson in the in uh, New Zealand second innings. I don't think Parkinson had his you know best ever game with the ball, but um, a perfectly solid introduction on um, Test debut, especially in some pretty um, strange circumstances as a concussion replacement for Jack Leach. Um, sort of zooming down the motorway. What I think it was M six M one via Keel Services uh, on his way down from Manchester. Um, so yeah, I, I thought he, um, you know, Parkinson bowled perfectly serviceably, but it would have been very easy from Stokes's point of view to give himself a huge workload in that second innings um, at Parkinson's expense. Whereas actually, I think Stokes bowled seven or eight overs, and Parkinson bowled pretty much double that. So um, 
and also to you know to keep him on at the end um get him to toss one up to Tim Southey um which was quite a good option um and obviously gets him a wicket and means that assuming he does play at Trentbridge next week which I think is uh, or later this week I should say obviously come come pretty thick and fast um but um assuming he does play because Leach seems like he's a sort of major doubt due to that concussion um will hopefully give him a bit of confidence going into that um and I also to be honest I think it probably reflects well um on Stokes that I think if you were to to say that either captain had a major outcome in the impact of this test, I think you would actually quite rightly be um, quite critical of, of Williamson's captaincy because I, I don't think he sees the moment by any means on the um, on the third evening. And I think given um, everything that was going on with Stokes' sort of yeah determination to charge down every ball um, at the start, um, also the extent to which Root and Stokes have both struggled against Colin de Grandham and have throughout their careers... Um, I thought it was very strange that Daryl Mitchell only bowled one ball um, to finish off that over in, in the match. And um, yeah, and, and no point did he sort of seem to consider bringing back Ajaz Patel after um, Stokes had been dismissed because for all, um, it obviously clearly there were only so many runs to play with and Ajaz got absolutely hooned over mid-wicket for three sixes by Stokes. He also created a chance where Stokes lined him up and I think it went for four buys in the end, but it was only just, you know, inches away from grazing the bail. Um, and especially when Stokes was out and he was bowling to two right-handers, I think it might have been an opportunity to get him into the game. Whereas instead, New Zealand were effectively playing two bowlers down with a three-man attack in that second innings with the Grandham injured and um, Ajaz completely unused. So I think when you're looking at the fact they left out both Matt Henry and Neil Wagner, uh, and Wagner in particular would have, I'm sure, made a difference to the outcome of this game. I think he probably got the selection wrong and I think he probably got his tactics wrong. Whereas Stokes, maybe a relatively unremarkable performance, but, you know, I wouldn't have any any sort of major criticisms either. Yeah, I mean, um, looking at uh, the New Zealand side of it, uh, Miller, a team that was 12 for 4 within the first hour of a test, you, you don't sort of really ever expect to be on, uh, be on the winning side. Yeah, they were probably favourites to win um, at the point that, well, certainly at the point that uh, Stokes had played on um, and obviously uh, there, thereafter, um, Colin de Grandhomme's uh, error um, became, you know, a sort of a problem that um, was compounded uh, for Williamson by him be, then being injured. Um, and the selection, which... New Zealand seem to have been sort of talked into playing a spinner by uh, a lot of the the build up, uh, you know, to the summer uh, with flatter pitches around the county game and so on, uh, and and the idea that there was going to be a greater workload. Um, I mean, New Zealand, are, are a bit like England under Chris Silverwood, uh, don't mind ditching the ditching a spin bowler, but um, they they picked Patel, who did bowl pretty well over here last summer, uh, and then he got two overs in the game, uh, and 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 Williamson was kind of relying on Southie Bolton and um, Jameson, who, who who did bowl very well, um, to pull out the fire for them towards the end. But I mean, they, they are a, a a very good side for uh, you know World Test Champions for a reason, um, and there were various points in the game when they might have actually uh, taken it away. Not least when they started uh, again on the third morning with. Um, Blundell and, and Mitchell on on that hundred well it ended up at a hundred and ninety five run stand but you thought from that point they were going to kind of bat England uh, out of it yeah I, I I had severely little hope for England at that point I mean you know it wasn't it wasn't so much 
pessimism. Well, of course, it was pessimism, but it was also just a, just a sense of <laughs> you've been there before. In- well, not, not, not just that I've been there before, but it's, it's just that given everything that England had thrown at that intro to the game, and you know, thirty nine for six at lunch and all the rest of it, and just the just the, the full the full bells and whistles, they'd shown their hand essentially. England had shown their hand. They had, for my money, they had played a really smart game for most of it uh, you know once you know you could argue that Anderson got sucked into a bit more bit too much of a short ball tactic in in the in the in the afternoon when you know a bit like when they when they got lost their heads against India last year against uh, uh, against the tail and 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 basically threw the game away it wasn't quite that serious but you know clearly they had gone in a gung-ho mentality they're going to go all guns blazers and they they their fire had essentially been doused by two guys who just got their heads down nudged the ball around did the did the basics in in that middle period where the where clearly the the, the ball had gone flat the pitch had gone flat the atmosphere had gone flat it's it's extraordinary to think you know in a game that was in fast forward all it takes is one session in which no wickets fall and then everyone thinks oh god it's doom and gloom but that that's kind of that's kind of where England have have left themselves with the the you know the depth of expectations that they have at the moment so it was almost as though they were one trick ponies coming into this into this game. And that trick had been found out. It's like, well, fine. I'm, I, I'm not going to criticise in this first test of Brendan McCollum's captaincy. Uh, it's a learning experience. Um, they, they, they've been outsmarted by the by the best test team in the world, according to the according to the Mace. And um, fair play. Come back to Trent Bridge and go again. It's a bit like um, I always hark back to the 2015 Test match. But I remember Brendan McCollum's um, comments after England won that game after being 30 for four on the first day with similar sort of scenario to New Zealand in this one McCollum said you know we will keep playing our hardest game worst set effect and on the days it doesn't work we'll say fair play to the opposition and come back and give our hardest game next time I kind of fully expected England to try and take that approach um but no upset Stuart Broad um on that final morning in a in a performance that was you know it was it was gloriously it was a glorious vindication, actually, of of, of the sort of rebirth, the the, re, the rebuilding mentality that that is around this this team. Because uh, I think I think you were there, Alan, weren't you? On on in the build up, and, and when mm. when Broad was talking about his his joyous feeling of of renewal, about you know the, that brush with mortality after being dropped from the side, and that on that on that morning, in fact, you know, I was I was I was up there in the press box. There was a bit of bit of rain around, so there was a bit of a delay, and. Uh, and out skips, literally skips broad, like la di da di da, skipping out of the outfield to go and go and warm up. The only man who's actually bothered to to get ready at this stage. He's got his headband on, and he's just just swinging his arms and skipping away, merrily whistling to himself. And he he just looked like a looked like a spring lamb. He looked like a man who was just delighted to be involved. And you know, with the best will in the world, there aren't many people who are 150 tests into their career. And nursing a, a run of one win in seventeen or whatever the, the collective team uh, total was, obviously he's not been involved in all of them. Who would feel quite that joyous about stepping out to work? And that I think has to come down to the fact that England have got a certain bounce around the team at the moment. You know, it could be a dead cat bounce, or but it could be. I think I think it could be a real bounce. And uh, and the fact that Broad bounced in and produced probably his. It wasn't quite a full. Full bells and whistles, broad wrecking spell, five wickets in a spell type thing, but it was bloody nearly that that nonsensical three wickets in a row, uh, entirely in keeping with the nonsense of his two genuine hat tricks uh, back in the day, um, turned the game. And without it, England would have lost. And the fact that 
the fact that England, you know, were able to come through a pretty dis dispiriting sense that, you know, our bubble's been pricked and then come back the following morning, do it all again, build it up again and find that, that, that joie de vivre again was a really good sign. And probably, dare I say, a sign that I don't think they would have managed uh, at any stage in the past 18 months. I don't think the team was cheerful enough uh, to get back up off the canvas in the way that they did on this occasion. Positive mental attitude uh, does have its place. But Broad obviously often talks a very good game, but it was, yeah, and he, as he did in the build-up, but it was very nice to see that he still plays one as well. Um, Matt, just on, on New Zealand, um, looking ahead to, to Trent Bridge, um, obviously, you know, losing teams are the ones with all the problems, but uh, the... Uh, that injury to to the Grandhomme, which um, could be uh, could have quite serious implications for the sort of balance of their team. Um, obviously, aside from the runs from, uh, from the middle order, two sort of unheralded players, I suppose, in in Mitchell and Blundell, um, the, the 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 batting um, will need to uh, uh, come up to scratch. But um, the, the the way they play with you know. Um, De Grandhomme supporting the uh, seam attack and also providing a bit of batting down the order. You look at the options that, uh, that could come in. I mean, Henry Nichols will perhaps be fit for this um, test, but uh, Daryl Mitchell hasn't bowled, uh, hasn't got anything like the same record as De Grandhomme as a bowler um, in test cricket. And you wonder if, you know, the reason Williamson didn't trust him uh, to bowl uh, at Lords um, and whether you know, they will then revert to a, a, an all-seam attack as well, given Trent Bridge and spin. Um, you know, P Patel might be coming under pressure for his place. Uh, I mean, Matt Henry would be probably the form horse, but but then um, who would ever leave Neil Wagner out in their right mind, I say. But, you know, there, there are there's a bit to chew through there for, uh, for Williamson and, and Gary Stead. Yeah, there's a lot to chew through. I think, um, yes, yeah, summed up pretty well there. I think, um, obviously, Will Young had a pretty tough test and hasn't really... Um, quite nailed down his spot. I think he had struggled in the home summer and got a pair of ones in, in this game. So I think he's potentially vulnerable, especially with Conway um, down at number four and a sort of more than capable opener as England found out to their cost last year. Um, obviously, Henry Nichols, as you say, could could come back in. And um, I think the, the expectation at this stage is that he'll probably be fit. But um, yeah, the, the, I suppose that the one way they could go is to have Nichols in for the grandum and, and pack the batting and go four seamers and um. Yeah, potentially have to trust Mitchell a little bit more as the fifth bowler, or or decide that they're just going to go with four quicks and and uh, hope everything works out on that front in terms of fitness and that sort of thing. I suppose they've had an extra day and a half off that they might not have had um because of how how quick that that test was. Um, I suppose one other possible left field option is that they could um give Michael Bracewell a de debut, who's um. 31-year-old who played some ODIs earlier this year and is sort of um, clearly a bit of a, a, a domestic stalwart who's in and around the setup for the first time. And um, I, th I think it's possibly a candidate to uh, to bat at number seven and, and sort out the, the obvious issues of balance that, um, that that arise when you lose someone like the Grandham who has, you know, I think it was, it was strange actually because he obviously had a pretty nightmarish day when going off injured the overstep wicket and everything like that. But he, he, the spell he bowled before he went off was, you know, actually threatened to be game-changing. Um, if you think, I think he went... In the right way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He went north for three and 3.5 overs. 
Stokes looks all at sea against him. He got Root out in the first innings, and obviously at Lords in 2019, he was all over him like a uh, like a rash in the uh, in the in the World Cup final. So um, it it really, it really felt at that point like England were going nowhere fast. Um, and as a result, I think it's a massive loss that he's presumably um, having having clearly injured his heel, not going to play at Trent Bridge. So. Um, yeah, I think they 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 definitely have some issues. I think it, it, it's an interesting team more widely, isn't it? Because they're clearly in um, a spot of transition with losing Taylor and Watling since the the World Test Championship final. But actually, a couple of the guys that came in, uh, sort of, I suppose the the closest to like for like replacements in that team were Mitchell and Blundell, who obviously scored all the runs in the second innings. Um, and more than anything, they need. The, the top order, so specifically Latham, Williamson and Conway to start scoring the runs that they did when they were um, over here last year because, you know, I think they, they all got out in the in the teens in the second innings and all got out for single figures in the first innings. So um, if, if that's sort of, whereas I suppose England's engine room is four to six in the middle order, New Zealand are quite reliant on their top order. So they need to get through the new ball. They need to um, get into a position where they can set games up. Whereas England are sort of more about, they're more set up to recover from a slow start if that's what happens. Um, but yeah, it, it's a tricky one. And I think you must, to an extent, as New Zealand lose some kind of the, having worked towards the World Test Championship in such a clear way, um, you must lose some kind of motivation or direction as much as anything, not knowing what you're building towards because they do play these short series. I think that they're already struggling to get into the World Test Championship final next year. I think it's going to take a serious winning run from now. Um, so suddenly, you're, you're, you know, you're a good test team, but what, what is the thing that's really spurring you on? So I think, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting time for them. Um, uh, Miller, Kane Williamson is, is the sort of the epitome of phlegmatism. Um, if that's a word, but uh, uh, he um, and uh, he's he's had to to um, talk about more um, heartbreaking defeats at Lords, of course, um, and reconcile him to to that. But he, I mean, he's possibly under a bit of pressure. I mean, hasn't played a lot of Test cricket through um, through injury, uh, and I mean, looked looked pretty scratchy here. He averages twenty nine in England now. Um, with 100, which was back in 2015. I mean, you you well, you wouldn't rule out him coming back to um, you know to form in this series and and having a pretty big say over how how it might might go. But New Zealand really do need something from there. They do. I mean, it, you do you do wonder about his elbow as well. I mean, it it is a massive concern. He was asked he was asked about it inevitably on the eve of the game, and I think he said it was. I'm managing it much better or worse in effect, which is not quite the same thing as saying it's it, it's much better. And so, you know, it, you, know you think think back to similar problems that Sachin Tendulkar had. His, his, his tennis elbow was a major issue in his career. And there obviously was that famous double century at Sydney where he didn't play his cover drive because he simply couldn't couldn't move his levers in that direction. You know, if 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 Williamson is 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 not hamstrung but elbow strung in 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 that in that sense um it's 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 a huge problem for him and it's you, you do sense it is weighing on his mind it, it it's a really difficult scenario for him but i mean we've been here with with you know i've touched on the fab 4 and all the all the nonsense that goes around it but the one thing about the fab 4 discussion is unequivocally the fab 4 are were identified as the fab 4 however many years ago because they were un, undeniably classy great batsman in the making 
and Joe Root right this moment you know a few years ago he was he was allegedly falling off the pace from from the guys around him and he's 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 made a big play to remind people no I'm 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 in this in this echelon for a reason Kane Williamson belongs in that echelon for a reason he 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 has nothing to prove frankly uh, beyond the fact you know he averages he still averages 52 despite despite the fact that his form is 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 not where it should be um he can come again if he's fit enough is my is my honest belief whether he can come again in this series because I'm not actually sure whether he is I mean he had a he had a tough IPL as well which doesn't prove anything necessarily because obviously a different format but uh, you know previously he's been fundamental to success in that format too um it's difficult but uh, to, just to go back to the the, the 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 conundrums they've got for the for the next test I mean the, the loss of de Grandom is 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 hugely damaging for them in my opinion not least because of what it does to I think Matt touched on it with Joe Root and and Stokes but Root in particular I mean Joe Root's his weakness his one undeniable weakness in in his career has been that nerdle that dead batted nerdle uh, true third man which is such a key part of his game uh, almost as key as his nudge off the hips that I think got 34 of his runs in this innings and you know just just release the pressure every time he 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 he's under any pressure just flicks it away similarly that dead batted nudge down down through the cordon and away for runs has been an absolute fundamental of his game and there are two varieties of bowling that have found that out the sort of vertical lift the extra bounce of a tight line in Australia that again he can't he can't play that shot because the ball will carry to the slips and the lack of pace Colin de Grandhomme in particular provides because the ball won't beat the slips because you know you can't put, impart enough pace on it with soft hands and it will just loop into the gully which was what, more or less what happened in the first innings and so without that weapon to tie down root it's it's a really difficult way to see how how New Zealand just 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 get in get into his head because I think uh, you know you sense that that's the one area that that you know he was he was unrepentant about carrying on playing that in the ashes and ultimately it proved costly for him and he didn't get the the century he was he was crying out for and in terms of the balance as well i mean the the, the grandom's runs in that first innings were 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 important you know they they weren't crucial in the, in the final analysis but his ability just to just to bosh it uh and 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 you know take take circumstance out of the equation uh will be a major factor so yeah difficult times for them and um uh, it's it, it, it's a big loss indeed well nice to not be talking about uh, England's problems for once. Um, we will wrap things up there. There's uh, there's plenty to be getting on with. England's new test leadership have got off to a winning start, though the series is still alive with two to play and there's no sense that Kane Williamson is facing a confidence vote just yet. We'll be back for more after Trent Bridge. Uh, until then, my thanks to you, Miller and Matt, and to you all for tuning in to the Switch Hit podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com. <laughs>